on this third Sunday of Easter, may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be always with you. The Gospel lesson is written in the 24th chapter of Luke, verses 13 through 35. Karl Barth was perhaps the most renowned theologian of the 20th century. One day he was riding a streetcar in his hometown of Basel, Switzerland. A tourist climbed into the streetcar and sat down next to Bart. The two men began chatting with each other. Bart asked the tourist, Is there anything in particular you would like to see in our city? To which the tourist replied, I would love to meet the theologian Karl Bart. Do you know him? Bart replied, Well, as a matter of fact, I give him a shave every morning. To which the tourist replied, I can't wait to tell my wife that I have met Karl Barth's barber. The tourist was in the very presence of the person he most wanted to meet, but even with the most obvious clue, he never realized that he had been talking with the great man himself. The same type of thing happens in our Easter story today. Late in the day on that first Easter, a disciple of Jesus named Cleopas and another disciple were traveling down a road. According to Luke, their destination was Emmaus. But maps of the world in the first century do not mention a place called Emmaus. Nor is Emmaus mentioned elsewhere in any writings in the Bible. This has led some scholars, such as Fred Beekner, to claim that Emmaus is the place where we go to escape when our world seems turned upside down. Perhaps you have such a place, a place where you go to try to make sense of a senseless world. Emmaus is therefore the place where we go when something causes us to be shaken in our faith. When circumstances have changed too fast for us to process, we go to our own Emmaus, where we can escape and try to make sense of what is happening. During those times, we are seeking peace and balance so that we may adjust to the new normal. The changing daily of information concerning the COVID-19 pandemic has caused many to wrestle with the threat that this virus has on our foundations of security. As we follow the daily news, our anxiety has escalated. We are anxious in ways we never would have imagined just a few weeks ago, for COVID-19 has shaken the kind of security that we used to take for granted. We are unsure about what we can count on. We are concerned that all of God's children, our family members, neighbors, and even the strangers we see at the grocery store are at risk. The shelter-in-place orders have made us angry as income levels have dropped or become non-existent. We resent not being able to worship in person. Our cabin fever has frustrated us. We are not sure what to believe what to think, what to expect, or even what to hope for. And so it has been said that we, like the two disciples in our text long ago, are on our own road to Emmaus. We're trying to come to grips with the new information that is being released daily on how we can protect ourselves and our families and, at the same time, continue to be faithful disciples of Jesus. This is one of those experiences which you and I will always think of as before and after. Before this pandemic, 
our life was like this. And after? Well, we really can't say yet, for we're not there yet, are we? All we know, all we have, is this ever-growing awareness that it will never be quite the same as it was. Having faith in times such as ours is not easy because we are uncertain of what the future will bring. Perhaps, then, we can relate a little bit to Cleopas and the other disciple who long ago were trying to make sense of life after losing the one who had brought new meaning, new hope, new trust to their lives. For you see, Cleopas and this other disciple had been in Jerusalem for the Passover. They thought they had their spirituality all figured out. They had met this man Jesus, whom they believed would save the world. But now their dreams had turned to dust, even though certain female followers of Jesus had visited his tomb that morning and had reported that they should go to Galilee where Jesus would meet them. Cleopas and the other disciple probably had summed up the women's experience to being incredibly overwrought. After all, when our emotions are high, we often are not thinking or seeing rationally. So on the road to Emmaus, perhaps the minds of Cleopas and the other disciple were dull from trying to make sense of Jesus' death and how they were going to live without him. They could not wrap their heads around the fact that if Jesus were the Son of God, the Messiah, then why did he die at 33, leaving the Romans still at the helm of their oppressive rule? Like many who experience grief, I imagine that their eyelids were droopy not only from losing sleep, but also from trying to live in a surreal world, a world they never anticipated, a world without their leader and friend, Jesus. In the midst of their sorrow and loss, they are discussing their fate as they journey toward Emmaus. I imagine they were discussing not only what had happened, but also how to go on living without Jesus. It is clear that the possibility of resurrection has intrigued them. Luke tells us that they have been engaging in a conversation. The word translated conversation means intense discussion. They have been talking for hours, debating the possibilities, arguing about the details, and speculating on what the empty tomb meant. In the midst of their conversation, there seems to be a deep yearning and a holy hunger. Intimately intertwined with their skepticism is their hope and their need for God to be alive and present. But their dull minds and droopy eyelids impede the fervor of their faith. Often when we become so focused on debating issues in the church, trying to convince others that we are right and they are wrong, we fail to look to Jesus for guidance. Likewise, those early disciples were so immersed in their debate that they failed to recognize Jesus when he joins them on their journey. The risen Christ comes to these two disciples in the midst of an ordinary, very human activity, taking a walk, dealing with a terrible loss. Cleopas and the other disciple were not looking for him. Faith, the story suggests, does not come as a result of our intellectual search or struggle with ideas. Faith is not a product of studying theology, memorizing scripture, reciting creeds. Faith is not even produced 
by church going. Faith is a gift. Faith is what happens when, by God's good grace, a risen Christ confronts us in our customary routines. Faith happens when an ordinary experience becomes a sacred experience. Faith happens when we least expect it. When we encounter the risen Christ, an everyday moment becomes a holy moment, a moment when truth more profound than our minds can understand becomes clear. Craig Barnes, the president of Princeton Theological Seminary, has observed, The question Easter asks of us is not, Do you believe in the resurrection? But whether you have encountered the risen Christ. Barnes suggests no one is ever ready to encounter Easter until he has spent a lot lot of time in a dark place where hope cannot be seen. The two disciples are spending time in a dark place where their dull minds and droopy eyelids cannot see any hope. Notice, however, Jesus does not lead the disciples on their own, blind to the reality of his resurrection. Jesus walks with them and takes a place at their table, that they do not recognize him. In the breaking of bread, he opens their eyes to his presence with them all along. And the filters are stripped away, filters of disappointment, loss, isolation, and fear that kept them from seeing. The two must make a decision now to trust this new reality, this amazing possibility or to continue what they were doing to proceed with their journey. They decide to trust. They turn around and go back to Jerusalem. They join the remaining 11 disciples and tell what happened to them on the way to Emmaus. They begin to live new lives, their brand new lives, in light of this new reality. They decide. The resurrection of Jesus changes our sense of reality. Before they experience the risen Christ, Cleopas and the other disciple try to squeeze what happened on Easter morning into their understanding of the world and how things work. So do we. After we experience the resurrection, it's the other way around for those who profess to be Christians. How we understand the world has to be viewed from the standpoint of a love more powerful than death, of a love that conquers all, including the power of death itself. Robert Lishner tells a story about a man named Buster, whom Lishner met early in his career as a pastor. Buster was a mechanic at a local garage. His wife, Beulah, drank too much and was high on drugs most of the time. They argued all the time. In the middle of a huge shouting match, when Buster came home for lunch, and there was no lunch, Buster dropped dead. Dead before he hit the floor, Beulah said, at least a hundred times to anyone who would listen. Buster was a rascal, and his death made the whole family feel apprehensive and worried about his utterly dysfunctional family. Listener helped Beulah through the local funeral plans and negotiations with the funeral director, which were very difficult. Beulah kept insisting on the most expensive casket and arrangements because she owed it to Buster. Finally, the day for the funeral arrived, complete with the open casket in the narthex of the church. The service itself was a disaster. 
Beulah wailed at the top of her lungs through the entire service and Lishner's sermon. He concluded quickly by reminding the congregation that Buster had been a good Marine and father. Now the church would assume greater responsibility for his family. And then the congregation moved to the little cemetery on the hill behind the church. The casket was lowered into the grave. Lishner said the words of committal, and then the military phase began. Four uniformed veterans from the local VFW formed an honor guard and fired their rifles on command three times over the heads of the congregation. There was even a bugler for the occasion, 12-year-old Mariah Siemens, standing halfway up the hill in a pink jumper with a white sweater draped over her shoulders. Her new trumpet caught the sunlight. She was about to give the performance of her life. Mariah began to play. She did not play taps. Instead, she played four stanzas of I Know That My Redeemer Liveth, sending each note across the ravine toward the mourners on the hill. It was, Lishner says, as if her music were a time-delayed message coming to us from a saner and more beautiful world. Standing in the lumpy mud of the cemetery, Lishner said he could see Easter. The ordinary became holy. Everyday experiences became sacred. At the most unlikely of moments, the risen Christ appears. You and I are invited to expect God to find us, not just in church, but in the ordinary, unlikely moments and experiences that make up our lives, especially in the sad moments, the moments of loss, grief, and frustration as well in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. For that is when the risen Christ is present to us with a love more powerful than death or disease. The question you and I must answer today is, when we encounter the risen Christ, will we trust his new reality? Will we respond by stepping out in faith, knowing that even the crises created by COVID-19 will not rob us of the ability that Christ gives us to adjust to a new normal? Or will we continue to walk down the road to Emmaus with dull minds and droopy eyelids, living as if the risen Christ cannot make a difference in our lives? The choice is ours. Thanks be to God that the risen Christ meets us where we are. He opens our eyes so we may have faith in the resurrection and be changed. Because he lives, we all can face tomorrow. Amen.